Welcome to the 189th episode of the Young Turfs podcast, Mason Viner, and I'm joined. He's back, Jack Rothenberg. Jack, it's been a while. A ton of things have happened, and we'll start kind of from where we left off, and that is that Mark Turgeon is no longer the coach of Maryland. Jack, you haven't gotten to give your take on it, so what is that take? Yeah, definitely. I was very surprised when I first heard the news. We actually, I texted you right when I found out that Turgeon was gone, and my first, my first instinct was wow, because obviously there was build up over the past couple of years of people, specifically the fans, not being happy with the outcome, the postseason outcome, and recruiting, just a bunch of built up, I don't want to say anger, but that sort of feeling towards Turgeon, and it kind of boiled over with that loss to Virginia Tech. With obviously, it's a it's big news story in the the sport of college basketball now, with everyone booing Turgeon. And people kind of coming at Maryland fans saying that that shouldn't have been happening. But it was a big boil over with Turgeon. And as you saw, they decided to part ways, which was, like I said, very shocking. But Mason, what are your what, what is your take on the the sort of outburst from people talking about Maryland fans, how they treated Turgeon poorly and how that was basically the demise of him at Maryland? Yeah, and, and I definitely have a take on it. And, and one take that I encourage all of you that are listening to take a look at is Jeff Baxter and uh, Wayne from Turp Talk had a show last night that you can see up on TurpTalk.com and on our YouTube channel. They discussed it kind of in a, in a little bit different sense, but one a sense I agree with, which is, look, I don't feel bad generally for people that make two to three and a half million dollars with bonuses in their contracts, really ever. I mean, that is an absurd amount of money that Mark Turgeon was making and that all these college coaches make to coach college athletics. That That's always my first point that I feel like needs to go out there. Now that there are some other takes about, you know, the support staff that doesn't make that much money that's going to have to move on. And, and look, I have family members that work in college athletics, most notably the former co-host of this show uh, that works in college athletics. And they all understand that when you take a job, whether it be in pro sports, college sports, competitive athletics that pays you money, you always understand that if your teams don't win in and you're in those support roles, you're in the coaching roles, they are going to be removed from your job. That's just what you have to live with to, to make a living and to be able to coach sports. And that's even true for some people at the high school level. So this is very basic knowledge. So I don't really feel bad for any of the people involved because, look, they're going to move on. They're going to find another job. And, and if they don't, then. Well, it wasn't cut out for them, and that's generally why they have a college degree in something that's not coaching, because th there aren't really many schools, there are some, but not many, that offer any programs in coaching. Now, when it comes to just this image that's being painted of Maryland athletics at the moment, I'm, to say the least, displeased. I think that Coach Turgeon and staff knew what they were walking into when they signed this extension. They knew the fans didn't like them. And and it's one thing to say, I'm not happy with the way things went. I felt like the AD and really pointed at people that work at Maryland. Like if, if Mark Turgeon wanted to come out and say, you know, Damon Evans and crew didn't really want him there. And, you know, why would they bring me back if, if they were just planning to fire me the first chance that they got where the fans were really upset? That's one thing. But the way that coaches like Mark Few, guys on TV like Seth Greenberg, Seth Davis have gone after Maryland. I really just doesn't – I don't think that has a place unless really, Jack, I'll kind of throw it back to you here, is college athletics at this point so soft that the minute somebody gets booed, it's the worst fan base in, like, the history of sports? 
I'm not sure about that, but I will say this definitely is not the first time that a, a home team has been booed by their home fans. It, it, there's no way that this can be the one time. Obviously, it might be the one time that that happened, right, followed by the coach leaving the school. But I think it's being a little blown out of proportion because I feel like this has definitely happened before. And I, I definitely agree with you. I think specifically Mark Few's comments have really blown up on social media and people are taking notice as of what he said because yeah Mark Few and Mark Turgeon were friends and he obviously fuels for Mark Turgeon and wants him to have the most success possible but I don't think that his comments are basically telling the whole story because this has been as I said earlier building everyone knows it's been building up basically over a, a large amount of time and Maryland kind of just said enough and they need to move on. So they they did what they had to do. And I think that, you know, when and I and I like your comment there, it's not it's not even close to the first time the team's gotten booed. And some people have said that college athletes never deserve to be booed. And in some ways I agree with that. The athletes on the floor were not who the Maryland fan base, and I'll use the term the collective, we were booing at. And they know that. These guys are active on social media. They see the comments. Some of them have stood up for Coach Turgeon in the past, like your Reese Mona, Jalen Brantley, uh, Bruno Fernando. You know, some people have really encouraged this fan base to not get on Coach Turgeon so much. But eventually, look, these are the people that paid the bills around here. There's no really if, ands, or buts about that. The people that pay the bills have had it with Maryland and have had it with, you know, the current coaching staff at the time. And Honestly, the people that are paying to watch the team voice their displeasure. That's what you get. That's what uh, $80 a ticket or $100 a ticket will get you. And that's what the season ticket holders pay. And I think a lot of this has to do with just the value of the, the, value of the whole ticket and experience has gone down at Maryland basketball. If you look at the other night, they're playing Virginia Tech 9 o'clock on a weeknight. There have been times very recently where that game sold out. You know, the student section was packed. It was a nice environment, but it wasn't what we know Maryland basketball to be. There were thousands of empty seats at that game. And you kind of look around, athletic director, just normal fan that follows it, and you say, there is no way that this fan base is at this point because they like the coaching staff or they like what's going on here. It was clear that the whole thing was ending, and, and it just kind of boiled over. And, you know, whether Turge was fired, which I somewhat tend to believe, even though all my sources and all the other uh, publications that are quote unquote insiders say that he chose to leave. I, there was some push between or some argument that broke out between him and Damon Evans that that landed with him probably being told it's better if you don't come back to work tomorrow, Mark, and, and they made it look amicably. But as really as somebody that loves sports and coaches it as a much lower level, you, you kind of have to embrace the competition of booing. You know, if you get booed or you got to embrace the competition of people not really understanding or liking what you're doing and you got to stand up for yourself. And I think Turge just really had kind of had it with having to fight the fan base on everything, because if you look at their stat line, you look at some of the rosters they have, the results don't line up with the talent that he was able to bring into Maryland. Definitely. And I feel like we could talk about this Mark Turgeon story the entire the entire week, the entire year, basically. But Maryland has a whole season left to play and they started off their Turgeonless debut. Well, they made a Turgeonless debut with against Northwestern, and they came up short. And then they bounced back after a week break, beating number twenty 
Florida in Brooklyn. What were your thoughts on that game, Mason? And how do you think that week long break kind of helped them regather themselves? Yeah, Jack. And I was just going to say basically the, the latter part of your, what you said, which is, I don't really consider Danny Manning's first game being that Northwestern game as uh, even though it is on paper and yes, he was the head coach. You can't really make much changes while this whole thing was going on. You know, obviously it was not only based on everything that we've heard from the coaches and the players. It was not only a shock to the fan base. It was a shock to the guys in the locker room that uh, Mark Turgeon would no longer be the head coach of Maryland basketball. And, And Danny Manning, a guy who, said it in that post-game press conference, I don't really even really know all these kids, not even close to as well as Mark did. You know, he has now a week to change up some things. They really haven't made that many changes. Jack, when I look at the Florida game, they made a couple of different plays. It looked like Danny Manning was coaching a little bit, kind of trying to put his guys in the right positions. And I think it worked. He was directing the floor a little bit. But the ball just went in the basket. They made some of their three-point shots. They got lucky on some of the baskets. So we know Maryland basketball to be in this kind of Mark Turgeon-esque era. And they were able to kind of showcase some of their talent and beat a team that's ranked nationally, but also just lost to Texas Southern. Jack, what was your take on uh, the last couple of games? So the one thing, one big takeaway that I had from this Florida game specifically was obviously it was a must-needed win, but it came in a different way than when Maryland had Mark Turgeon versus now Danny Manning's coaching. And as you said, he didn't definitely didn't make that many changes to what was going on. But early in the season, we saw most of Maryland's offense and most of the ball going through Kudus Wahab. And I think over the past week or two, basically, they've not really gone away from that. And I think it's a buildup of, of multiple things, not just Turgeon being gone. Obviously, as you said, Maryland was able to hit more shots. Ayala and Russell were the main two benefactors of that having 19 points each but Wahab only put up one point against Florida and I think maybe that could it's it's not I don't want to say it's going to become a trend but basically if you if you see what's going on he's not really getting as many looks and it's turning into Ayala and Russell getting and and I could say Scott too getting more looks and it's helping the Maryland offense out so I think that's one thing to look at and it's also these players, as you said, came to play for Mark Turgeon. They didn't come to play for Danny Manning. So I think it's going to take a while for them to get get used to what's going on. And I think that week helped them out. And now they have a couple weeks before their next game. So I think it's it's going to be really interesting to see what happens come Big Ten play because that's going to really show you where this Maryland team's at. Yeah, my take on what Danny Manning said after they lost to Northwestern was he needed guys like Donta Scott, Hakeem Hart, he needed every one of his players to be more aggressive in driving the basket and trying to get to the foul line. And he said that specifically about a couple guys. And I think I saw some of those changes or at least a start of some of them. They got to be more active off the ball. You know, all the things that I think a lot of experts and and media members said about Maryland before, they got to move better off the ball. They got to drive the bucket more aggressively. Donta Scott can't be his offensive go-to move cannot just be throwing up a three-point ball. That, that cannot and will not work. It just won't. And and they tried it out for a lot of the season. I really tend to believe, and this has been true for some reason for a lot of these Mark Turgeon teams, Ian Martinez did not play in this game. And I just had the stats up, and I'm going to pull them back up here. Now, Eric Ayala played 38 minutes, and Fats Russell played 37. Maryland, for some reason, has never really had good backup guard play 
in Mark Turgeon's time. And I think that that still remains true in a lot of ways, because when the guards are out there for a lot, for the basically the whole game, they've been more successful. And they've always had a guy like Anthony Cowan or Melo Trimble that plays every minute of almost every game. And look, I think Ian Martinez is a good player, but for some reason it seems to work better when Maryland cuts down the rotation to seven or eight guys. Definitely. I think Ayala played played his best game yesterday afternoon. I think he's got to play that way if Maryland's going to be successful this season. And I think, as I talked about, Wahab didn't get that many looks, and I think Ayala took advantage of every time that he was able to get in the right position to, to make a shot. And and it, it's got to show up for him if, if Maryland's going to play well. Yeah, and, and looking ahead on that, and, and you know, I feel like that win against Florida was a big win for this program. You know, they're only their second win out of conference over a top 20 team since uh, whatever it was. I think the number was since either 2016 or 2014. Maybe it was, uh, it was 2014 against Iowa State. Yeah. So a, a big win in that sense for Danny Manning, a really good first win for him. It, on December 28th, they play Loyola of Maryland, who is really having a rough year. They, their cop and state has beat them. So I, I expect a win against Loyola. Then they take on Brown, and, and I'm n- not going to say that everything's turned around. I still see if the bad Maryland shows up that can't make any shots, a team like Brown could potentially give them a challenge. Brown gave North Carolina a run for their money earlier this year, so I'm not really... I don't really know what to expect here from here on out, Jack. What do you kind of think happens? Do they start to win some basketball games and we see a little bit of confidence build up here? Because we know they're not that bad talent-wise. Right. They, they have an enormous amount of talent. That's, that's no question. But I think I think it's it's going to come down to those first couple games in when Maryland gets into Big Ten play. We can talk about the loyal Maryland game or the Brown game all we want. Those Those are two games that Maryland should definitely win. And it's going to start a lot of problems if they don't. But I think those first two, three games, they have Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin. Those are the first three games to open up Big Ten play in early January. And I think those are really going to tell the story of where this Maryland team is going. And I, me, me and you could sit here and talk about what we think is going to happen. But to be honest, I don't think anyone really knows what's going to happen. And that's why I'm saying I think these first couple games of Big Ten play are really going to sh- tell the story because no one really knows. And I think with all this talent, they could definitely win a bunch of these games and, and upset a bunch of teams. But until we actually see it happen, I don't know if anyone's truly going to sit here and tell you that they believe it. Yeah, and when they played Northwestern and they lost, for a lot of people, it seemed like they had moved on, and myself included. I, I really did not expect them to bounce back and went beat this Florida team. I think it's extremely hard at this point to say, like you just said, Jack, what's going to happen next. I think this is a very game-by-game team. Obviously, they went through something that they didn't expect to go through with the departure of Mark Turgeon. But it's really, really good as somebody that's a fan of these teams and that covers this team and and goes to a lot of these games and gets to see these players up close and personal. It was really good to see them win this game, you know, to go out there and show trepidation. And there were a lot of Maryland fans uh, that made that trip up to Brooklyn for this game just to show people that they're still here, that you can't just write them off your schedule. They're not in that pool with Northwestern and Minnesota as just a team that you're going to put a W next to this season and move on, that you still got to watch it when you play Maryland. And Maryland basketball is still here because there's still 
the mission is still accomplishable at this point. Now, it's not going to be the Big Ten, uh, more more than likely not going to be the Big Ten top four finish that they probably circled at the beginning of the year and said, this is our goal. But they can still make the NCAA tournament. As kind of funny as that sounds saying it now, they can still accomplish a lot of their goals, even without their coach and, and knowing the changes coming going into the next year. I definitely agree. And I think, as you said, if this win shows the team anything, it shows them that they're able to win games without Mark Turgeon. I think that's a big step in showing them they can, to believe in themselves, that they can get this thing done. And I think that this Florida win is going to give them confidence. And I think if Maryland can take care of business in their next couple of games heading into Big Ten play, it's just all more and more confidence that they can build up heading into that long stretch that they'll have against all these tough teams in the Big Ten. Yeah, and you kind of laid that out, and and Purdue being where they are right now, even though they're not going to stay number one, and Michigan State team that's really good, Michigan that's underperforming this year. There, there's the road looks a little bit easier through the conference than to the beginning of the year, but Maryland is also behind their number twenty starting spot by quite a bit. So it's a tough schedule to play out. You know, it's going to be tough every year when you play as many conference games as. Uh, these teams do. It's a it's a battle through it, and, and they're going to have their opportunities to win some big games and to put themselves in a position if they you know can get it together uh, come March. And I don't really want to sound delusional in any way. I'm just saying that that's the facts. Is if they can turn it around, and everybody knows that they have the talent to do so, uh, they can still have the ability to make something happen. Right. It's just about putting it together, and and if Danny Manning can find a way to do that, I think. There's no limit to what this team can do in March. Jack, next topic on the list, kind of moving off of basketball, and we'll, and we'll be back to discuss kind of where we see things going, do a little bit of a Big Ten uh, play preview after Maryland has their bowl game, which is what we're going to talk about now. Terps taking on Virginia Tech in the Pinstripe Bowl, uh, two fifteen on a weekday. At a, now just a couple weeks away, Jack, press conferences tomorrow – uh, about the game, we'll, or Wayne and myself will be out there at Maryland talking to Coach Loxley and some of the student-athletes about it. Jack, what's your take on the 6-6 six and six Terps against the 6-6 six and six Hokies? Yeah, I definitely think it's a good game. I'm really excited. I'm, I will actually be in attendance there, so I'm excited to go. It's my first time they'll be at Yankee Stadium. And I think this Virginia Tech team, they finished third in the ACC. The one game or one team that Maryland and Virginia Tech have in common that they both played is West Virginia Obviously, Maryland came out with a win in week one. Virginia Tech lost to West Virginia 27-21. So that's one thing to look look out for. But this Virginia Tech team is a couple good wins. They, they beat UNC in week one. They played Notre Dame pretty close. So I definitely think it's a good game, and I'm excited to see it happen. Yeah, and I am too. I'll be making the trip up there with the Terp Talk crew to just, uh, you know, one, get to see a great stadium, one that I have not been to. I've not been to Yankee Stadium yet. So I'm excited for that, and and of course, to see this Maryland team kind of take the next step as a program. I said it on the post-game show from Rutgers after the game, is you're looking at a team that was picked by the national media at 4-8, and eight, I think is the best that I saw them picked around. I, I know that I think Saturday Tradition had them picked 1-11 coming into the year with the only win against Howard. So, you know, I think back to the podcast we did before the Iowa game, and to where we ended up now. And yeah, there were some disappointing moments. But overall, I think a lot of people just really want Maryland football to be great. They want Maryland football to be competitive against these big-time teams. And 
I think that Coach Loxley and, and crew did a nice job of refocusing their team, winning the games that they felt like they could. And, and they know there were some missed opportunities this year to do some good things. But they came out with the six wins that you look for at the beginning of the season. And they really have a great opportunity to finish it strong against Virginia Tech, which is a good win for local recruiting. Yeah, and as you talked about, this is another step that Maryland can take for the program. Obviously, getting to a bowl game was a big thing that they were able to do. But a 2.15 p.m. game on ESPN, a, a nationwide audience, this is just another big step that Maryland can take as a program if they're able to come out with the win, which I think is definitely possible. Yeah, and, and I would like to see them win a bowl game. The last time that that happened was, of course, in Ralph Friedgen's last game, Randy Edsel. A couple of bowl trips, but no wins, including just some of the most poorly attended bowl games that I think I've been to, being the one when they played against Stanford uh, out in California. You know, this is a good chance to have a lot of Maryland fans uh, engage with some of the alumni that don't really get to go to a lot of Maryland games. And really, I think to put on a show, you're playing against a team with an interim coach. You know, the next head coach of Virginia Tech uh, has been picked out, Brett Pry, and but he will not be coaching this game. The interim staff will continue to coach it, so it will be the, their last game coaching Virginia Tech. A couple starters for the Hokies have opted out. Some players are transferring out just with the transition and program. And I really think it's a good chance for Leah and company to show that Maryland is a team that's not in that same transition or flux point with um, some of the players that have played a lot of snaps for the Terps this year, deciding to transfer elsewhere. But Maryland is still here, and we're going to beat the teams that we can beat, and Virginia Tech is definitely on that list. Yeah, and one thing to point out for this Virginia Tech game is something interesting, actually, is Chigakonkwo did, in fact, uh, declare for the draft. So this will be his last game as a Terp. So hopefully he can go out with the win and then enter the NFL draft and hopefully get drafted. Yeah, I think he's got a great shot at it. And he, he needs this bowl game. He, he kind of really, it's a great opportunity for him to put on a show, like you said, Jack, in front of a national audience. I'm sure there will be some scouts out there to look at him. And there's just a couple people, when you look at down the list for Maryland, that have a chance here to put up something else on film that that want that opportunity at the NFL. Like guys like Jalen Duncan, uh, Chiga Conquo, Nick Cross. You know, some of those players that are kind of teetering on the edge. Do they stay? Do they go? Uh, other players like Ami Finau and Mokite have decided they're coming back to Maryland. So, uh, you know, that chance that you get with a bowl game to continue to practice with their team, focus in on some things, which is special teams mainly for Maryland, I think, and get some healthy guys back and, and then kind of shape up for next year. And, and I agree with Michael Oxley when he says this is game one of 22. You know, it's a great way to send your seniors out. They get a bowl game. They're doing a lot of cool things in New York City. I'm sure a lot of them have never been. And, and then you kind of get to move on and say, how are we going to emphasize some of these younger guys start to work on uh, their game and give them a bigger role and and maybe showcase some things. But for Maryland, uh, a lot of recruiting news also coming around Nash the early signing day period kicking off this week on Wednesday. So a lot of things happening around the Maryland football program. They've been recruiting really hard, and, and they need a strong finish there as well. Definitely, and we'll release another episode when the Virginia Tech game gets closer to kind of break that down and show you guys what we're looking forward to most. And with the press conference tomorrow for Maryland football, there's a lot of news and notes that might come out with that as well. So we're definitely looking forward to all this Maryland news that's that's going to happen over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and of course, this is – you know, kind of Michael Ox's time of the year around where he can make those big moves uh, at the end of the signing day. There have been a couple of commitments that Loxie has posted his gift for, and so has Sheldon Ely. For all you Terp fans, he's a really good uh, follow. He is the director of on-campus recruiting, so he handles a lot of the official and 
visits for Maryland football as well as the you know the campus experience for some of these football players. Um, he's a really good follow. He also has a lot of you know he has his own little commitment post. I know Lox's wall gif has uh, gotten really popular. He has a uh, Mike with the Terp sweatshirt as his. So a couple of those have come out, and we are yet to see really who the commits are. Uh, there's really a lot of rumors of who they could be right now. Maryland's hitting the transfer portal hard, trying to kind of replenish their spots at linebacker. They got a guy from West Virginia that's coming in. Uh, they're looking to land a couple offensive linemen and, and a couple of receivers just to kind of round out what really I'm uh, starting to really like what Maryland's got for next year. But of course, that's a conversation for another day. Jack, uh, any last points here on the podcast? Yeah, I think you kind of just touched off that Maryland football note with how they lost a couple guys in the linebacker room, but they were able to add from West Virginia and hopefully they'll get some in this early recruiting stage. So I think it's a big week and we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, a lot of turf news coming and we'll be back here on the podcast to update you as it breaks uh, and hopefully loop Dave LaMonaco, our Terrapin Times recruiting expert for kind of what's become a yearly tradition of uh, National Signing Day and early National Signing Day episodes with him. Look for that episode later on this week as things start to kick off with recruiting. Uh, for Jack Rothenberg and Mason Viner, as always, thanks for listening to the Young Turfs podcast. We're looking forward to bowl season and Turfs basketball. And as always, go Turfs.